Welcome, savvy investor, to Skyline Views. Welcome to another episode of Skyline Views. I'm Chris Mills. My guest today is Mr. Anthony Pinto. Anthony is the Chief Operations Officer for Mission First Capital and the founder of Pinto Capital Investments. Welcome. Awesome, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, why don't you tell everyone where you're you're chatting from? This is a long distance deal today. Sure. Yeah, I am stationed over here in Japan right now, so about 13 hours ahead of uh, of everyone. I'm back on the East Coast. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> and of um, yeah, thank you for your service in advance. I'll I'll give I'll give you an opportunity to kind of share your story and everything, but. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about veterans and investing in real estate as an asset class today. So um, yeah, why don't you share your start, your story, and we'll kind of dive in there. Sure. Uh, so I am an active duty submarine officer, I'm currently stationed here in Japan. Like I said, been here for about a year and a half. I have another year and a half left before I head back to the States. Um, been in for about uh, almost seven years now at this point. And uh, I was previously previously stationed in Hampton Roads area, so Norfolk area. Um, been up and down the East Coast doing different schools, but was in Norfolk for the longest part for about four years before I uh, came out here. Um, stationed on two different um, fast attack submarines, and then now I'm on a short tour out here in Japan. Um, so that's pretty much my military background. My wife's in as well. She's active duty uh, Navy nurse uh, stationed here at the hospital. Awesome. That's very cool. So uh, what got you started in real estate and, you know, especially doing it long distance and everything too? Yeah, sure. So um, I kind of inadvertently became a landlord uh, when I bought my first house in 2016, when I first moved to Norfolk. And um, I knew that I wanted to have a house to live in because we were going to be there for at least three years. And I um, house hacked out with a roommate for about a year and a half before I got married. Um, didn't really know what I was doing. I was like, oh, it's nice to have another roommate to pay half of the rent. Um, you know, didn't, didn't know anything about actual real estate investing, how to evaluate the deal, you know, what I was doing in terms of rent or leases or anything like that. Um, it was more just a, hey, I have a roommate. I've had roommates for the past, you know, six years of college and then schooling and stuff. Um, so that kind of really started me off and then did my sea tour uh, and got out uh, from the first boat at the end of 2018. Uh, but the last three months of that, I was underway. I just started realizing I didn't really want to, I didn't want to make the Navy a career. Uh, so I started looking for other means to um, supplement my income and real estate investing came as uh, one of those interests. And Really started digging into uh, you know a number of different books, talking with military guys who were doing real estate investing, and uh, um, fell in love with this idea of actually house hacking a multifamily, small multifamily property. So that's what I did. End of 2018, beginning of 2019, uh, my wife and I moved into a quad that we bought using our BA loan, um, and we house hacked that one for about a year before we came out here and uh, rented out two of the units and did Airbnb on the third unit for for that that time. Um, during that time, we also bought a triplex with a couple other Navy guys. And then I was thinking to myself, well, I'm spending just as much time on the single family home as I am on my quad. And I'm talking with other people who are spending just as much time on those types of small properties as they are at a hundred unit property. And might as well go 
and might as well get the most bang for my buck. So start looking into large multifamily, going to conferences, getting educated on it, networking with people. And uh, that led me to about a year looking for deals, partnering with people um, and, you know, establishing relationships, getting to know markets and stuff until um, <clears throat> I was interviewing to start my own podcast at the end of 2019, the Lessons in Real Estate show. And one of my um, first interviews was with my current business partner, Phil, who brought me in a 104 unit deal in the Hampton Roads area. And that just kind of got the ball rolling and everything else. So all of my large multifamily deals have been um, secured while I've been here in Japan. All the capital raising we've been doing, you know, all the all the meetings, all of the property valuations, all of that has been done while I've been here. So uh, past year, we've done about 300 units and um, multifamily units. Both two of the properties are in the Hampton Roads area and one of them have been in Savannah. Gotcha. Gotcha. For folks looking to make that jump from, you know, the small uh, single family or small multifamily deals to, you know, like you said, you some of these times you spend just as much time on a single family or a duplex as you would the larger stuff. So would you, is that the best way, the way you did it? You know, looking back in hindsight, partnering up with someone because uh, I know a lot of folks, it's tough to make that jump, you know, whether it's just mentally or, or otherwise. So um, what would you suggest for, for folks looking to make that leap? Sure. So um, <clears throat> when I talk to people about getting started in real estate investing, whether you're dealing with small multifamily, or large multifamily, I say you have to have one of three things. You have to have time, money or experience. Uh, one of those three things you have to bring to a partnership. Right. So a lot of active duty guys like me um, who are actually on the sea tour or getting deployed, you know, and all that don't necessarily have a lot of time um, or experience for that matter to take down a lot of these deals, but they may have money. So uh, that may be a great, great way if you don't have a lot of time, but you have money to come in as a limited partner in that regard. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people think that they need to get started actively, uh, you know, finding deals and, you know, raising capital, all of that when, you know, if you have the advantages given to you, like having capital or having connections with capital, that's a great way to get into some of these partnerships. Um, but to answer your question, I think that it is a great learning opportunity to start with smaller properties like that. You know, the mistakes you're, you're making on my triplex, for example, you know, we've, you've spent you know, tens of thousands of dollars on repairs that um, we should have found on due diligence um, or issues that have popped up since then. Um, but those tens of thousands of dollars could have been, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a 300 or, you know, or more unit property. So I think it is, it is great to get you know, some of your knocks uh, early on a smaller property. And it also kind of gets you used to what the process is going to be like. Uh, but you also have to understand that making the jump from large, small multifamily, large multifamily is all about the teamwork. Um, and it's about the team that you build, right? Uh, you know, there's lots of people who can go in and buy a, a small multifamily or single family home and just, you know, take it down with their own capital, do a VA loan, do an FHA loan, whatever that is, right? And not have to deal with anyone else in the process, right? Probably outside of property management company. But when you're getting into larger deals, 20, 50, 100 unit deals, you have to have other people involved with you, right? Because especially if you're starting off, you are not going to meet a lot of the wickets that you need to be able to take down these deals. Um, just in the lending side alone, right? You have to have net worth that meets the, you know, the price of the property, at least on most of these deals. You have to have liquidity uh, that's you know, 10% or more of the, of the value of the deal, right? Um, I mean, just have, being a loan guarantor is a, is, a, is a factor that a lot of people don't have. 
right? You obviously have to have capital. You obviously have to have experience. You obviously have to, you know, have someone that's at least local or boots on the ground to that area, right? A lot of wickets that it takes to make a deal like this come together, especially in beginning stages. So um, I would say that the number one thing you have to think about if you're trying to transition from small to large multifamily is get your team right before you start looking for these deals. And I think the second thing I would say to that is you have to have you have to be open to the mindset uh, of taking down these larger deals, right? Um, you know, it's more than just 100 unit deals. It's now you're adding a number of zeros on to the value of that deal, right? It's more than just um, you know, hundred units, it's a whole community that you're now having to deal with rather than one particular property, right? Um, you're having to deal with competing with other people for these deals. You're having to deal with the city and you're having to deal with, you know, a lot of different factors that you're probably not going to have to worry about with a smaller multifamily property. It generally had to worry about. So you just really have to have the, I think the number one thing is, is you have to have the mindset of abundance when it comes to these types of properties, right? Um, you could very easily talk yourself out of going uh, to larger multifamily because, you know, I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the right people in place. I don't have all of these things that are going to make this work instead of thinking about how, you know, uh, I'm not going to be able to make this work. Like, how can I make this work? Right. Start thinking through the different aspects and different connections and relationships and networking that you've done to make something like this happen, particularly if you're local to an area. It's a great way to get started. Um, but you really have to start with the mindset and you have to start with the, the team mindset as well. Yeah, you talked about relationships a lot in that answer. Um, you have a lot of great people at Mission First. How have you built that team? And you know, what are your criteria when you're looking at uh, examining team members? Sure. Uh, so for the longest time, it was me and my partner. Um, gosh, the better part of you know, a year uh, working on, on this, you know, the fun that we have going on. Um, and I thought, you know, that we, to be doing the two of us, we're going to be able to take down and, and work on this pretty much all by ourselves. Um, but some circumstances change with, uh, with my schedule. And now I don't have as much free time available to, to work on the fun. So, you know, I started thinking like, okay, and, and how am I going to make this work? I started thinking about who can make this work, right? We needed to have these particular tasks done. We need to have these type of people on the team. So I started thinking about the, the network that I have, like who really stands out to me as like 10 out of 10 people. And uh, one of the books that I really enjoyed reading recently that kind of opened my eyes to this idea of finding 10 out of 10 people is a book called What It Takes by Steven Schwartzman, who is the, uh, the CEO and chairman of Blackstone. And I found a lot of similarities between the struggles that he was going through with, with his startup at that time in the you know, late 70s, early 80s, which was Blackstone to now where he is now. And so much of that was not so much how he did it, but the, the people ha that he found to be able to do the things that need to get done. And so with that mindset in mind, we started, I started thinking about the people who really made an impact on my life um, and, and were stellar people at the particular you know, tasks that they were doing at the particular job. So we brought in, um, you know, a really good friend of mine who was here in Japan with me for a while, stationed here. Uh, we brought in a, um, a really good, another good friend of mine uh, in the Hampton Roads area who deals in investor relations and is really good on the relational transactional side. Um, and so needless to say, we brought in a lot of great people that, you know, we're going to make the organization better that could help fill the gaps that we had, uh, you know, in, in my time and my partner's time and really steer, help us steer the ship in the right direction when it came to, you know, building this company into what it is. Uh, but I think the number one thing is, is you have to be on the same kind of wavelength as the people you're bringing onto the team. And one of the things that we're really harping on as a team is, is a lean 
mindset. And by lean, I mean the actual like two second lean, um, you know, Paul Acker's type of, of mindset. And that is all about being able to see waste and continually improving. And we really wanted to have the right people that were going to have that mindset because it's, it's not a very, it's not a easy concept to kind of think about, right. To one, to be able to see the waste, but two, continuously improve, right. Cause it, it takes a lot of effort to get started to see the issues, you know, not only see the issues in your life and in your work life and in your relationship and in your home life, but be able to constantly improve them. And I think the key to that is you're finding the small two second improvements that you can do every day. And so when we were talking with people and, and you know, hiring them, we were, we were approaching it from that mindset, like, hey, how can this person contribute or, or make this process even better, right? What are the little things that they can do to improve the process overall? And do they have the mindset that's open to bringing on this, this lean uh, process to the organization? And we wanted to start it now and the framework now so that when we get when we have the ball rolling, we have a lot of money coming in, we have all these properties that we're going to have under our belt, and we have all of these things in motion, you know, we have this process already set in stone, right? We have the morning meetings that we already have, you know, ready to go. We have the framework to be able to lean upon that is constantly improving and constantly seeing waste and, and doing something about it. So does that does that answer your question? It does. It does. Yeah. Thank you. So in regards to real estate as an asset class versus everything else that folks have to invest in these days, um, what makes real estate unique for 2021 going forward versus anywhere else where, you know, a family could put their, their hard earned capital? Sure. Um, so I would clarify that um, real estate is very, is a very broad, uh, sure a broad um, swath of financial um, investing, if you were to say, right? I mean, you could be talking single family homes, multifamily, commercial real estate as a whole, uh, flipping. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things you can be doing. So I'm going to take the stance of multifamily because that's mainly what I've been involved in, like large multifamily. So I would say that if you have if you haven't been living under the rock and you've been watching the news over the past few months, um, the stock market and what's been happening with that and the uh, almost revolution that we've been seeing with what happened with GameStop and AMC and a lot of other specific tech companies should excite you uh, because it's, it's a, um, like I said, a revolution that's occurring. Like there's people who are standing up and saying, you know, no to what's happening with the status quo. But at the same time, it should also scare you because the whole um, premise behind the stock market and the capital market and what, what, um, valuation a company has should be tied to what the company is doing, right? It should be tied to, you know, um, you know, a company has, you know, this much in profits for the, for the year, people should buy more of that because they expect it to go up. Right. Um, but it, you know, this is something that, um, I was listening to a video, um, by Sam Zell the other day, and he was talking about this exact same thing is that what's happening in the market is totally disconnected from reality. And that should scare you as an investor that, you know, people's pensions, people's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, there's trillions of dollars that that's in the stock market right now and capital market as a whole, like that should scare you that something like that can happen, whether you want it to or not. Right. Um, the fact that, you know, Elon Musk can say something about Dogecoin and it just goes to the roof, like not even endorsing, it just says something about it, like tweets about it. Right. That is really the premise for why I think real estate is, um, a, it should be your number one bet when it comes to investing in something, right? Because 
and from my point of view as commercial real estate, multifamily real estate, you have direct control over what's happening with your property. Um, about as much direct control as you can have over a financial vehicle because commercial real estate is evaluated based off of the income that produces. So if I have a property that produces $1 million in income and you factor in it, cap rates and all of that would say that it's worth $10 million. And then I'm able to increase the income of that property to you know $2 million over a year or two, right? Now that property could potentially be worth $15, $20 million, which is rough numbers we're throwing around there, right? Um, and it has nothing to do with what's going on with the market. It has nothing to do with the next door neighbors. It has nothing to do with what's going on in the economy, right? It has everything to do with, hey, people need a place to live. You know, you improve the property enough and you have a property that's worth being rented at a higher amount than what you bought it in. And that's all that factors into it with, you know, there's some things that got variability in that and, you know, insurance costs. And I mean, you know, fires happen, acts of God, right? But generally, you're going to have much less volatility than you're going to see in the capital market. So that's why I think, um, first of all, that's why I think real estate is a uh, much better bet than when you're going to see in the capital market, especially what's happening recently. And uh, I mean, just if you look at what was happening in at the end of, of uh, the 1990s, when the tech bubble hit, if you look at what was happening at uh, 2007, 2008 timeframe, you're seeing a lot of... Um, of volatility that was occurring during those times as well, right? You're seeing, you know, market, you know, market highs constantly, right? That weren't tied to anything, right? Just like you were seeing in 2007, just like you're seeing and now. And uh, frankly, that's scary to me, right? Um, and the second thing I would say is that we just injected tremendous amounts of money into the economy. And if you know anything basic about economy, about the economy, is that um, the the more money you have in supply, the more likely inflation is to occur, right? It just, that money needs to be placed somewhere and it just, one thing leads to another. And so, you know, I, I read something recently that was really interesting to me in that in 2020 alone, we added 20% of the current uh, dollars that are in circulation right now. In one year, 20%, which is ridiculous to me, right? But that should tell you that something big is coming, something big is going to occur. And it, it doesn't matter what the interest rates are doing, you know, they're as low as they can get right now. It doesn't matter the kind of um, precautionary measures that are going to occur, like inflation will happen, right? It may be, you know, a relatively small amount, it may be a large amount, right? But real estate inherently at its basis is a, a hedge against inflation, right? You know, you purchase a property for $1 million, you pay down the mortgage on that, right? And the mortgage is still going to be worth a million dollars in five years from now, whether inflation is 1% or it's 10% per year, right? So now my mortgage is now worth a lot less and my property is now worth a lot more because that rent has also been going up with inflation, right? So it just, it's, it's creates a lot of safety and what I perceive is going to be happening in the future, which I think is, is tremendous amount of inflation. Um, and then lastly, I would say is that Real estate is just going to be more consistent returns you're going to see in, in the stock market, right? I mean, if you're acting as a, as a limited partner on a multifamily deal, for, for example, right, you're probably going to see pretty consistent 8, 10, 12% returns. Um, and then on top of that, you know, five years from now, you probably are going to refinance or sell the property and get all your money back. So, you know, what's it called a 2x multiple on that? You're not really going to find that in the stock market, at least with consistency enough um, on what you're seeing with a lot of these syndication types of deals. And you're not going to see the price of the property go to, you know, $10 million one day and then go to $5 million the next day and then go to $20 million the next day, like you're seeing with like stocks and, uh, and with, you know, um, cryptocurrency and stuff like that, right?
So it, it, there's just, it makes a lot of sense uh, to throw your money into something or sorry, wisely invest your money into something like real estate versus throw, you know, putting into capital market where, you know, it's volatile. You really don't know what's going to go with it. And it's, you know, there's only so high that it can go before a correction occurs. The control factor is, is what got me interested in real estate as well initially. Uh, just as a young man trying to use common sense, you know, I looked at everything back then and I said, yeah, that's, that's where I have the most control. I'd rather, you know, die in my sword, my own sword any day than just kind of, oops, look what the market did kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so you have a military family, you serve military families. Uh, last thing I want to touch on is the the unique position that military families are in. And um, can you just kind of explain that dynamic as far as financial planning and, and retirement planning for um, a, a military family specifically? Sure. Um, so one of the benefits that we have available to us, um, and, I'll, and I'll touch on a couple different factors here, but the first one I wanna talk about is the VA loan. And uh, if, if your listeners, you may not know, the VA loan is essentially like an FHA loan. It's a zero. It's a zero uh, percent um, down loan, typically a very low interest rate. Um, I just refinanced one of my properties with the VA loan, and I got a two point seven five percent. You know, and you're essentially getting a property for free, right? Um, and I actually got money back on the very first property I bought, right? That is not available to a vast majority of Americans out there, right? FHA is about as close as you get. And I think that's somewhere around two or 3% uh, purchase price. Um, and you have to meet obviously certain wickets, right? The VA loan is a lot more uh, forgiving on your credit, on um, you know, a lot of different factors that uh, may, make not, may make you not as credit worthy, right? Because um, it's guaranteed by the Department of Veteran Affairs. So 0% uh, down loan on a single family home all the way up to a four unit. And you can use that to house hack a property, right? Which is what I did, right? Buy a multifamily property, live in one of the units and essentially live for free or maybe even cash flow a certain amount of the time that you live there, right? Um, and you're having a property that's, you know, uh, paying, essentially paying you money, paying down uh, your mortgage, you know, appreciating in value, right? For essentially nothing down. And I've done that on two of the properties that we own right now. Um, so using your VA loan is a, a tremendous advantage that I, I think a lot of military members don't necessarily know about. Uh, or don't know, necessarily know how to take advantage of. Um, the second thing I would say with that is that we have a TSP or thrift savings plan, and it's available to all military members as well as government employees. And it is essentially a government-run 401k program. And it, it follows along the same kind of S&P 500 um, international funds. There's, it, it, it's essentially like mutual funds, right, for uh, your 401k. Um, obviously very little control you have in that outside of how much, you know, allocation you want to put towards each individual fund. Um, but it does give you the option to take that money straight out of your paycheck every month and put a certain amount to it. And now with what we have with the uh, blended retirement system is they will actually match you up to a certain amount. So up to 5% of your, of your uh, paycheck that you put in will be matched by the, you know, the U S government or U S military, whatever branch you necessarily serve for. Um, which is tremendous, right? I mean, that's 5% free money. And like, why, why wouldn't you want to take that, right? Um, and not only that, but the TSP gives you the option to take loans against it for a certain amount. So uh, one of the things that I did uh, in the past year, uh, which was available because of COVID, was you could take a, up to 100% you know, of your value of your TSP as a loan 
and use that essentially to whatever purpose you want, right? Um, don't think that's a thing anymore, but generally you have the ability to take a up to a $50,000 loan against your TSP uh, called a journal purpose loan. And I think it's, it's like a one or 2% uh, interest rate off of that, uh, which is super low. And you have up to three years to pay that back, right? And you can use it as a down payment. You can use it as a, you know, an investment and a syndication. You can throw, throw it in the stock market if you want, right? Um, but there's very few 401ks that I know of that allow you to take a loan against your own, essentially your own money, right? And pay it back again, you know, for in your own time at such a low interest rate, like unheard of, right? Um, so I think that those, those two things alone are, are amazing, tremendous advantages that military families have. And I would say the third thing is, is that, you know, we have an extremely stable job, right? Uh, it, it is very difficult to administratively separate someone from the military outside of, of any potential wrongdoing that they do or something egregious like that, right? So for at least three to five years, depending on you know what your contract says, you have a guaranteed job, right? You're going to have guaranteed income coming in. You're going to have BAH coming in to pay for your house, right? You're going to have healthcare benefits. You're going to have all of these things paid for. So take advantage of that security and play with your money a little bit, right? Explore what the capital market looks like because some people are really good at it and some people are not good at it, but you're not going to know until you try it out, right? Explore real estate, explore different options to invest your money, because especially if you're a young individual, you know, in your 20s or maybe even in, in your early teens or, uh, you know, late teens, if you just got in, you have plenty of time to recover if something bad happens, right? But you also have tremendous upside and years to be able to let your money work for you. So I think the bottom line is, is allow the job security that you have in the military to make you feel good and making your money work for you and other methods, whatever that vehicle is for you. Yeah, starting early is one of the best pieces of advice I think is, is out there. Um, so thank you for that as well. Uh, thank you again for your service. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more or uh, learn about Mission First? Sure. Um, so you can reach out to me on Facebook. I'm pretty active there. Just reach Anthony Pinto. Um, you can also see me on LinkedIn, Anthony Pinto as well there. Uh, or you can check out our website at missionfirstcapital.co um, and you can contact us there as well. Or you can shoot me an email at anthony at missionfirstcapital.co. Great. Thanks again. I appreciate your time. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Skyline Views with Chris Mills. We hope you found this valuable and useful. Feel free to share it with friends or family that could benefit as well. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We really appreciate it. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us through thehaneycompany.com. See you next time. The information provided in this episode is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. Skyline Views, The Haney Company, their employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are advised to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant for the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. 
Christopher Mills is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisor representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Neither Coastal Equities Incorporated nor Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated is affiliated with Skyline Views or the Haney Company. Advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.